0: Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Chapter 12. We are continuing. 12. We are continuing the sermon, the mini-sermon series we started last week. After 30 years of intense research, after 30 years of a computer program giving you an immense algorithm output, With over 30 years of surveying thousands of church members across America, we finally know what the characteristics of the perfect pastor is. And these are the characteristics that churches I here are using around the country in their pastor search committees to find the perfect pastor. So here's what the algorithm, here's what the computer program, here's what the surveys have told us after 30 years of research. He preaches exactly 15 minutes, yet gives in-depth expository sermons. He condemns sin, but never steps on anybody's toes. He works from 7 in the morning to 10 at night, doing everything from preaching sermons to vacuuming to custodial duties. He makes $400 a week, gives $100 a week to the church, drives a 2001 Buick, has designer clothes, and his wife is smoking hot. <laughs> he's 36 years old, but he's been preaching for 40 years. He has a burning desire to work with the youth, is on the nursery rotation, and spends all his time with the senior adults. He's the bus mechanic, mows the grass in the summer, and shovels the sidewalks in the winter. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all his time doing door-to-door evangelism, and is always found in his office if he's needed for anyone to drop in for an appointment. Unfortunately, here's the bad news. He burned himself out and died at the age of 32. Is this a healthy model for church life? When one or two, maybe three or four, a handful of people end up doing all of the ministry, all of the work in the life of the church. Last week, I ended with a story about a nuclear meltdown in Japan. And as I thought about that, and as as we talked about that a little bit this past week, churches suffer from nuclear meltdowns oftentimes when people themselves burn out. When you have people that have been doing the same ministry for all of these years and they never get a break and they bear the majority and the brunt of all of the ministry and sometimes they get frustrated and they get, they get burnt out. And this is not how a healthy, maturing, vibrant church is to function biblically. And so last week we, we said that we as elders believe in the life of our church right now. We need to focus in on spiritual gifts, understanding your spiritual gifts, understanding what it means to serve in the life of the church, especially in the area of children's ministry and youth areas. And so we looked last week at spiritual gifts related to worship, that it's actually an act of worship in how we use our spiritual gifts. And then we can actually be prideful when we downplay our gifts, when we don't use our gifts, when we expect others to do all the work and we sit on the sidelines. And we ended last week with this whole idea from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we need to have our minds renewed. We need to have a new way of thinking, a biblical way of thinking about the life of the church. And Paul here is speaking to everyone, not just the pastors, not just the elders, not just the deacons, not just the growth group leaders. He's talking to the entire church. So, for this morning, we're going to continue the study in Romans chapter 12, and let's just read it again, verses 1 through 8, as we remind ourselves of the words of Paul about what it means to serve the Lord in a lifestyle of worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 3a, and this morning we're going to look at 3b through verse 6. And here's the central idea for this morning. Here's the main point. It's it's fairly simple. Followers of Christ need to understand the important role of spiritual gifts in the life of the church. So we need to understand the important role of spiritual gifts in the life of the church. Why did God give you a spiritual gift? How does God arrange the church so that we function the way God has called us to function? How does how this work? Why is it so important that we understand spiritual gifts in the life of the church? And so for this morning, what I want us to do is I want to explore three aspects or three roles or three functions of spiritual gifts within church. The church. And just, these are just things, maybe you've never been taught on spiritual gifts, maybe you don't understand spiritual gifts, this may be a refresher, this may be brand new, but these are just three key areas that we need to understand about how God has arranged the church and how God has gifted us with spiritual gifts. And so here's the first thing that we see, the source of spiritual gifts. The source Now, some of you came after the service last week and you asked about verse 3. And I said I'm going to explain it today because it's kind of confusing. Paul tells us in verse 3 that we need to think with sober judgment. And then the last part of verse 3, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, when you think about that, it sounds kind of confusing. What do you mean a measure of faith that God has assigned? Does that mean that some Christians have more and better faith than other Christians? Does that mean that faith is a substance that can be measured out and that there's this higher tier of really committed Christians and there's this lower tier here of not-so-committed Christians? And so there's differing levels of of faith, saving faith. Some Christians are going to get into heaven... And they're going to have a great spot and others are going to get in barely by the skin of their teeth. Is that that what Paul's talking about here? It cannot be what Paul is talking about because it would nullify everything he said in the book of Romans up to this point. I do not think Paul is talking here necessarily about saving faith. Because it would also nullify his words about pride. What I think Paul is saying here is that God sovereignly chooses what gift or gift mix you receive and how you use it. I want to show you a parallelism in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 3, and then look at verse 6, and look at the similarities there. In verse 3, it says, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Okay, faith that God has assigned. Okay, look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. God has given us his grace. God has given us faith to be able to use our spiritual gifts. And so what I think Paul is saying here is that from first to last, God sovereignly decides what gift you get. God sovereignly will gift you, will grace you, will equip you personally with that gift. And it's different than another person's gifting. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. So God sovereignly is going to give you the grace, the gift, to be able to use. Now, in this Romans passage, it says it's God, the Father, that gives you the gift. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, we have a similar statement. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is talking about Christ giving the gifts of the leaders to the church. So in Romans, it's God the Father giving the gifts. In Ephesians, it's Christ the Son giving the gifts. Well, let's just finish off the Trinity and turn to 1 Corinthians and see that it's actually the Holy Spirit that gives you the gifts. So who gives you the gifts? Is it the Father? Is it the Son? Is it the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. It's Trinitarian. God the Father God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, sovereignly give you your spiritual gifts. He is the source of that. So we are going to be in 1 Corinthians this morning and in Romans, and they're close together, so they're one book away. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for just a moment. Because sometimes when you have some difficult scriptures that are a little unclear, you go to scriptures that are more clear to fill in the gaps. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a parallel passage to Romans chapter 12 in Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts. So let's just pick up in verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now, there are a varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same spirit. Lord, And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now go down to verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In verse 4, 5, and 6. Paul uses some interchangeable words to talk about spiritual gifts. He says there are a variety of gifts. Okay, that's the word charismata, where we get the word gifts. There's a variety of service. It's the actual word we get for deacon, to to serve. And there are a variety of works, our activities, the power. And if you look, it's Trinitarian there because it's the spirit it's the Lord. It's God. And so, right there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you also see a Trinitarian gifting of the gifts, a sovereign Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. But, but notice verse 7. Verse 7 to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, which means this if you are a believer, you have at least one spiritual gift. You can't say, I don't have a gift. You have at least one. And verse 11 tells us that it is the Holy Spirit who sovereignly apportions individually how he sees fit. So you do not choose your spiritual gift. God chooses it for you. The sovereign God determines, decides what gift you get, and he gives it to you, and he graces it with you. And he enables and encourages and empowers you to be able to use it. So the source of your spiritual gift is God. God sovereignly gives you the gift that you have. Which means this. If you go to a ministry or a church where they teach you to receive some type of spiritual gift from the pastor who has an anointing, who can impart a gift upon you, or somehow you can learn to use this gift and everybody has all the gifts, that's really in clear violation of the scripture. You don't choose which gift you have. God chooses it. And God knows better than you because he knows what gift you need and he knows what the church needs. So the source of your gifting is the sovereign God himself. He, look at verse 11. The Holy Spirit apportions, he gives, he grants, he assigns to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit determines what gift you have. So you have a gift. If you're a Christian, God has given you that gift. He sovereignly decided what gift you need, and God has sovereignly determined what gifts this church needs corporately to function. Okay, so that's number one when you understand the source of our giftings. The source of our gifts comes from a sovereign God, which leads us to the second issue. Okay, if God's the source of our gifts and we all have a gift... Here's issue number two, the purpose of spiritual gifts. What's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Why why did God give them to us? Now let's go back to Romans chapter 12, and then we're going to flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So have fun flipping or swiping or punching in, however you get back and forth to to your scriptures. Notice what Paul says there in verse 4 of Romans chapter 12. For as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another now do you see the metaphor Paul is using here one body many different members and notice the wording that Paul says He says, we are members one of another, which fundamentally means that you and I in this church are intricately connected to one another, which means that we need one another. We are mutually dependent upon one another. We're interconnected in each other's life. We need encouragement from one another. We need to serve one another. We need to be in one another's lives. We need to function together as a healthy body. We're mutually dependent upon one another to use our spiritual gifts to grow, to mature. Now, we've been in the gospel of John for a long time, and we're jumping out of John, but let's just go back and review John for a moment. John 15, 12. We spent extensive time on this. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I've loved you. Okay. We, we looked extensively at that this is a commandment, it's non-negotiable. We're to love one another, we're to love one another consistently, we're to love one another constantly, sacrificially. Okay, so let's ask a question. What is one practical, concrete, demonstrable way that you and I can obey Jesus and love one another? Well, the answer is we can love one another by serving one another in our giftedness, by using our spiritual gifts to serve one another you see when god saved you it was a very personal experience god invaded your heart god opened your heart you individually repented you individually believed you you have an individual personal relationship with jesus christ but nowhere in the bible does it ever say that's private god saved you personally but he saved you to be in a body He saved you to be connected to a church. There's this no no man's an island type mentality or, or I'm a lone ranger Christian, I'm just gonna live my life in isolation over here without any interconnectivity to the body. Christ saved you personally, but he saved you to be part of a family, to be part of a body, to be part of a church. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 13. This is Jesus. He, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul does not mention gifts. He mentions people that God has gifted the church with. So these are the spiritual leaders that God gifts to the church. Pastors, teachers, shepherds. What is my job as the pastor hyphen teacher? And I can go on and explain why it's pastor-teacher hyphen in that passage of Scripture, but I don't want to bore you with the Greek. Just trust me. I'm the pastor-teacher. What's my job according to that passage of Scripture? Does, it, does, it, does Ephesians 4.12 say the pastor is to do all the work of ministry in the church? I am to equip you to do the works of ministry. That doesn't mean that I don't do anything, but my primary goal is to equip all of us to do the works of ministry, to equip you. That means to to encourage you, to help you. It was often used of mending broken nets, um, shoulders that were out of joint, putting them back into place. It's this whole idea of of making the church function. And my job is to help encourage, to equip us to, to do the works of ministry. For what purpose? What does that passage of scripture say? For the building up of the body of Christ. It's a construction term. Building up. It actually has this idea that there's a strong foundation and then there's a structure that's built that's supported by the foundation. What's the foundation? The foundation is Christ. You see, when a builder goes out to build a house, he wants a strong foundation and he wants good structures and, and he wants a, a structure or a house that's that going to be able to withstand though the weather. He wants something that can be built up. And Paul is saying that's the goal of using your spiritual gifts. That's the purpose. The, the reason why God has given you and me spiritual gifts is not so that we could hoard them to ourselves. It's not so that we could downplay them. It's so that we could build up the church into maturity, that we can encourage, that we could be building one another up. First Corinthians 12:7. We just looked at this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. For the common good. Why do you have a spiritual gift? It's for the common good. It's for the good of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, Paul says, So with yourself, since you're eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Paul says the main reason you have a spiritual gift is for the building up of the church is for the building up of the common good. It's for the encouragement, the maturity, the functioning of the church. And so think about your human body here for a moment, because Paul's using a, a body metaphor here. What happens to your human body when it's not working properly? When you're sick, when you've got a disease, when you've got a broken bone... When you've got an issue, your body is not healthy. It doesn't function the way it should function. And Paul's saying it's the same thing in the church life. What happens when you and I don't use our spiritual gifts? What's the opposite of building up? Tearing down. What's the opposite of the common good? Jealousy and consumerism. You're not only stifling your own maturity when you are not using your spiritual gifts, but you're, you're stifling the maturity of the entire church. So the source, number one, what's the source of our spiritual gifts? God. He sovereignly decides what spiritual gift you get. And he gives you one. Number two, what's the purpose of the spiritual gift? The purpose is to build up the church. It's to mature the church. It's to function as a church. It's it's to encourage one another. It's it's for the common good. That's the purpose. But yet there's a third thing we see in this passage of Scripture. The variety. Or maybe you like the word diversity. The variety or the diversity of spiritual gifts. All right, let's go back to Romans 12. Look at verse 4. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Function. One body, many members, not all have the same function. That word function is an interesting word in the original language. It's the word praxis in the Greek. We get our word practice, practical. It really means task or job. What Paul's saying is that. We all have different jobs to do. We all have different tasks to do. And then look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ that differ according to the grace given to us. So there's different functions, there's different giftings, there's different works, there's there's a variety it's 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 diversity in unity, we're unified in Christ, we're one body, but we all have different gifts, we all have different giftings, we all have different callings, we all have different jobs, tasks, roles in the church to do. 1 Peter 4.10, we'll look at this again, but this is an important passage of Scripture, 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, okay, each has received a gift, you've all received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God's varied grace. That word varied is an interesting word. In the Old Testament translation of the New Testament, Greek, it was used of Joseph's coat of many colors. It means multifaceted. It means like a diamond that has many facets. And so what the word means is is that God's grace is multicolored, multifaceted, multidimensional in that. He's given us different gifts. We all have different gifts. There's a variety. There's a diversity. We all have different jobs, different functions, different roles, different workings, different ministries in the life of the church. Like a diamond that's shining, God's grace shines down upon us, and we all have a different role to play in the life of the church. Okay, let's go to... 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again. And while I don't have time to go into great detail, what I want to do is I want to read some passages here and then just give you some, some insights that, that really solidify God as the source of the gifts, the purpose of the gifts, and the variety of the gifts, the three things that we're looking at. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let's start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that's a scary thought, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, that's a weird image too, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. One thing we see in verses 12 through 13 is that the Holy Spirit has unified us as one body. Notice in verses 12 through 13, one body, one body, we're one, we're one in the Spirit. God has made us one. So we are one family, we are one body, we are unified, although we have different parts to play. Another thing we see in here, verse 18, God has sovereignly arranged the members in the body the way he chose Again, we looked at this. God sovereignly arranges the, the giftings. God sovereignly arranges your ministry so that there should be no jealousy, there should be no disconnection. Third thing we see is that we desperately need each other to function. This whole, I can't say to the hand, I don't need you, or to you know, different body parts saying, I don't need you. A small group of people cannot do all of the ministry in the life of the church. For a church to be healthy, there must be shared ministry. When a handful of people do all the work of ministry, you get people burnout, you get people frustrated, you get people that are doing ministry out of obligation because nobody else is stepping up to serve. Remember Paul speaking to everybody here, not just the leaders? Another thing we see in here in verse 25, there should be no division in the body. Now, thankfully, at Emmanuel Baptist Church right now, we're not in a major time of division. There's not disunity. You see, I've seen two extremes in church life over my many years. Two extremes. One extreme is severe disunity. People are bickering, they're backbiting, they're fighting. All of the time and energy in church life is spent towards putting out fires, and you never have time for ministry, you never have time for evangelism, you never have time for missions. You're really not doing anything because there's so much chaos in the life of the church. There's disunity, there's chaos, there's factions, there's backbiting, uh, there's church splits. That's one extreme. Thankfully, that doesn't describe Emmanuel Baptist Church. It's not chaotic. It's not disunified. We're, we're pretty unified. But here's the another extreme I see. Okay, when things are relatively calm, and there's no disunity, and there's no backbiting, and there's no fighting, and things are going well, guess what the other extreme is? Apathy. It's apathy. Things must be going well. There's no problems. Nobody's fighting. Things must be going well. Things are going so well that you expect everybody else to do the things to keep it going well. And you're lulled into this apathy. You're content to come and sit and consume and not really be a part of things because you assume that everything is going fine. And it may be that everything's going fine because of God's grace, but there's a small handful of people that are making sure things are going fine. And there's Apathy. And it could be that if we're not careful, we can drift into apathy. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, says this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. It's easy to start drifting into apathy. It's easy to start drifting into this whole attitude of, Well, you know what? Things are going well in the life of the church. They must not need me to do anything. Things must be going well. And praise the Lord, they are. But if you drift into apathy, guess what happens? Things may not start going well. So there's those two extremes. Another thing we see in this passage of Scripture, especially in verse 26... If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member's honored, all rejoice together. You see, in the life of a church, we should be so interconnected that when somebody in our family is suffering, we come alongside them, we cry with them, we suffer with them, we walk through it, we help. And on the same token, if somebody is going through a victory, if somebody's going through a time of success, we should come along and celebrate and encourage. You see, we should be so interconnected in each other's lives that we we share life, we share trials, we share sorrows, we share suffering, we share victories, that we are part of one another. So what's the source of our gifts? The sovereign God, the triune God. God sovereignly chooses what gift you have for the common good. Number two, what's the purpose of the gifts? The purpose is for the building up of the body. The purpose is for the unity of the body. The purpose is for the common good. The purpose is for the maturity of the church. Okay, number three, there's a variety. You, you, don't, you don't have all the gifts yourself and, and not just, just one gift, but there's a variety of gifts. There's a variety of ministries. We all have different functions. We all have different roles to play. We all have a place to serve in the life of this church. Now, last week, I challenged you to think Differently because the Bible challenged us. Remember, Paul said, do not think of yourselves more high than you are, but think of yourselves with sober judgment. Have your mind renewed. And so last week I challenged you. Have your mind renewed. Have this new way of thinking about spiritual gifts. This week, I'm not aiming for your mind, I'm aiming for your heart. Where is your heart? in regard to spiritual gifts. And you say, well, Pastor Sean, you haven't spent a lot of time telling me what my gift is and what these gifts are and all that. And I said, I know, We'll get there next week. But before you can actually begin to use your spiritual gifts, you've got to have your mind changed and your heart changed to begin to think about the fact that I've been gifted and I need to serve, and is my heart changed? So is your heart soft to the Lord this morning? Is your heart willing to step out and say, you know what, I need to really think about, I really need to to follow through in understanding this whole issue of spiritual gifts. Psalm 8611 says this, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your your name. Think about the imagery there. The psalmist is saying, God, give me an undivided heart. G- give me a, a united heart. I, I don't want a divided heart. And maybe this morning you have a divided heart. I don't know about this spiritual gift stuff. I thought that was for the pastor to do everything. I, I don't know about this whole spiritual gifting. I, I don't know about this whole volunteering in the life of the church. I don't know about this whole serving thing. My heart's kind of divided here. I'm not sure. I kind of want to, but the other part of me says, you know what? I really don't want to risk. Somebody else will do it. I don't want to be uncomfortable. So you may have this divided heart going on this morning. And what does the psalmist say? Lord, give me an undivided heart. Is your heart divided on this issue? Do you see how mutually dependent we are on one another? Do you see the importance of using your gifts? Do you see the importance of the building up the body of Christ? Do you see the importance of, of being connected so that we can serve and love and encourage one another? So let that be our prayer for this morning. Let's not just be your prayer. That the sovereign God would give you an undivided heart to seek him so that you can use your spiritual gifts in a life of worship and service to one another in the building up of the church. So the question is, would you have a united heart this morning? Not a divided heart, but would you have a united heart to fear his name? Would you have a soft heart? Would you have a willing heart? Would you have a heart that's responsive to God's call on your life today to begin to understand and think about using your spiritual gifts to serve the brothers and sisters here that you call your church home at Emmanuel Baptist Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And I'm just going to give you a few moments to let God work on your heart. Think about your heart. Do you have a divided heart? Where is your heart? With ourselves this morning, I'm sure most of us would probably say that we do have a divided heart. Lord, our our hearts are selfish at times. Our hearts want the path of least resistance. Our, Our hearts want somebody else to do the ministry. And Lord, I can't change anybody's hearts, only you can. So my prayer this morning is for all of us is that we would have a united heart. That you'd give us a heart for this the ministry that you've called us to serve in this church. You give us a heart to understand our spiritual giftedness, a heart to see the the joy of the church being built up and the common good, that everybody would have a right attitude to work in the area that you've called them. So, Lord, would you just soften our hearts this morning? Lord, we don't want to have hard hearts. We don't want to have divided hearts. We want to have united and soft hearts. And, Holy Spirit, only you can do that. So I pray that you would do a work that only you could do. And, Lord, I know I haven't talked a lot in specifics and practical areas about gifts. We'll get to that next week. But, Lord, I really think it's so important that it's a heart issue. I could give as much knowledge as I can on spiritual gifts and and teach the scripture till I'm blue in the face, but unless our hearts are changed, we're not going to follow through. So, Lord, change our minds, renew our minds, and soften our hearts to be the people you've called us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.